Homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. Role models play an important part in all of our lives, whether we seek them out or not. And whether we walk the Buddhist path or not, they can have the power to shape the direction we take and the ability to influence the decisions that follow on from there. Life has its ebbs and flows, challenges and opportunities. And at every turn, we often seek wise counsel, examples that we can follow or emulate, people that we can respect or look up to, and much, much more. On the Buddhist path, the Buddha is, for all intents and purposes, our most eminent role model, teacher, and the perfectly enlightened one. There are also many noble and great disciples of the Buddha, those who have ordained as well as lay followers, who are commended and praised by the Buddha for their different qualities and all aspects of their practice. This is a recurring area of study on this channel, asking who are our role models and featuring some of these great disciples of the Buddha. The aim is to learn about these noble beings and delight in their lives and accomplishments, highlight the importance of recognizing them as worthy role models and taking them as inspiration towards the Noble Eightfold Path and the path to Nibbana. In our study of role models, we have covered both monastics and lay followers of the Buddha. And in today's Dhamma session, we're going to study another of the foremost male lay followers of the Buddha. So far, if we refer to our table summarizing the Buddha's foremost lay followers, we've looked at quite a number already, including Chittata Householder, the foremost among speakers of the Dhamma, Kujutara Upasika, the foremost among those who are very learned or have heard much, Hathika of Alavi, the foremost among those who gather a following by means of the four bases of kindliness, Queen Samavati, the foremost among those who dwell in loving kindness, Nakula Mata and Nakula Pitta, foremost among those who are trustworthy, as well as Anathapindika and Visaka, both the foremost amongst donors, and we examine that as part of Dhanakatha in our gradual teaching series. These lay followers have proven worthy role models with their very noble qualities and accomplishments. Today we're going to look at Jivaka Kumarabhacha. For lay followers of the Buddha, Jivaka represents a very accomplished lay disciple of the Buddha and also a very inspiring role model in both conventional terms as well as Dhamma terms. This is not just because he was physician to the Buddha, the Sangha, royalty and many others, but also because while he was certainly busy with his profession and skill, he was also devoted to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. We can learn much from his accomplishments and good qualities. He was very generous throughout his life and was fortunate to have healed a wide cross-section of people due to his profession. He also had regular audiences with the Buddha and asked important questions and we can learn from those discourses. As we shall see in this Dhamma session, a very strong tenet of his life was to do no harm. It comes across very strongly in the way he dealt with patients, including the Buddha, and the methods he applied to heal people. In these modern times, as the field of medicine has become more of a business than a vocation, and the traditional medicines are disappearing, Jivaka's example can be particularly inspiring for those who work in the medical field. But it can also be inspiring for lay people more generally in developing a stronger sense of non-harm in whatever we do be it work or other areas of life. We forget that these are choices we make. And if anything, we need to make wiser, more skillful choices about the work we do, the way we transact with the world, and how we think, speak and act towards others. 
Though leading a busy life, it is evident from the accounts in the Vinaya that Jivaka greatly honoured and had utmost confidence in the Buddha. He followed the teachings of the Buddha and he also honoured the Sangha. Jivaka was able to attain to stream entry. That's a great source of inspiration for lay people when we consider all the lay household responsibilities, work, families and so on. We learn from Anguttanikaya, Chapter 1, Chattavagga, that Jivaka was declared by the Buddha to be the foremost amongst those who people had confidence in. In Pali, this is Pugala Pasananana. And Pasana translates as believing, trusting in, having confidence in, being pleased with, being devoted to. So that was what Jivaka was the foremost in. People having confidence in him, people believing him, trusting in him having confidence in him, and also being devoted to him. We shall see from various accounts of the life of Jivaka how he endeared himself to people from all walks of life. Much of that had to do with his profession as a physician and healer, but other spiritual qualities also contributed as well. Jivaka was also one of a number of lay followers possessing six qualities, had reached certainty about the Tathagata, and become one who sees the deathless, who lives having realized the deathless. And the six qualities are unwavering confidence in the Buddha, unwavering confidence in the Dhamma, unwavering confidence in the Sangha, noble virtuous behavior, noble knowledge and noble liberation. So we know from other suttas that Jivaka realized the fruit of stream entry and this sutta is in Samanyavagga. So Anguttarikaya, Chapter 6, Discourse Number 128. So this includes him in a group of noble lay followers of varying degrees of attainment who were assured of realizing the deathless. There are many references to Jivaka in the Tipitika. Such was his contribution to the Buddha and the Sangha, but also to royalty and the general population. We'll approach this by going through each of the main source references from the Vinaya to the main discourses, the Dhammapada, and even the Jatakas. We learn about Jivaka's early life from Jivaka Vatu, part of the chapter on robes, or Chivra Kandaka, in the Vinaya. The account begins with, At one time, the Buddha was staying at Rajagaha, in the bamboo grove, the squirrel sanctuary. At that time, Visali was prosperous, and crowded with people, and there was plenty of food. There were 7,707 stilt houses and the same number of halls with peak roofs, parks and lotus ponds. And there was the courtesan, Ambapali, who was attractive and gracious and had the most beautiful complexion. She was skilled at dancing, singing and instrumental music. She was highly desired, charging 50 coins for a night. Because of her, Vasali was even more splendid. On one occasion, the Householder Association of Rajagaha travelled to Vesali on business and they saw all these marvellous qualities of the city, including Ambapali. When they had concluded their business, they returned to Rajagaha. They then went to King Senya Bimbisara of Magadha and told him about everything they had seen, adding, It would be good, sir, if we were to appoint a courtesan. Well then, find a suitable girl, the king replied. At that time in Rajagaha, there was a girl called Salavati, who was attractive and gracious and had the most beautiful complexion. And the Householder Association appointed her as a courtesan. 
Soon afterwards, she became skilled in dancing, singing, and instrumental music. She was highly desired, charging 100 coins for a night. Soon after, Salavati became pregnant. She thought, men don't like pregnant women. If anyone finds out about this, it will ruin my career. Let me announce that I'm sick. She told her doorman, don't allow any man to enter. If anyone asks for me, tell them I'm sick. Yes, madam. Her pregnancy developed and eventually she gave birth to a son. She told her slave, listen, take this boy away in a winnowing basket and throw him on the trash heap. Saying yes, madam, she did just that. On the same morning, as Prince Abea was walking to an audience with the king, he saw that boy surrounded by crows. He asked his companions, what's that surrounded by crows? It's a boy, sir. Is he alive? Yes, he's alive. Well then, take him to our compound and give him to the wet nurses to feed. Saying yes, they did as requested. When they knew that he would live, they gave him the name Jivaka, Survivor. And because a prince brought him up, they also gave him the name Kumarabacha, Prince Reared. When Jivaka reached the age of discernment, he went to Prince Abaya and asked him, Who, sir, are my mother and father? And then the prince replied, I don't know who your mother is, but I'm your father because I brought you up. On a later occasion, Jivaka thought, it's not easy to make a living in a royal family without a profession. Why don't I learn a profession? At that time, the preeminent physician in the world was living at Takasila. Then, without asking permission from Prince Abeya, Jivaka left for Takasila. When he eventually arrived, he went to that physician and said, Teacher, I wish to learn the profession. Well then, Jivaka, please do so. Jivaka learned much, and he learned quickly. He remembered well and did not forget. After seven years, Jivaka thought, I'm a good learner, and I've been studying for seven years, and yet there's no end in sight to learning this profession. He went to that physician and told him what he had thought, adding, When will I complete the training for this profession? Listen, Jivaka, take a spade and walk as far as 13 kilometers all around Takasila and bring back whatever plant you see that's not medicinal. Saying, yes, teacher, he did just that. But he did not see any plant that was not medicinal. He then went back to the physician and told him what had happened. The physician said, you're well trained, Jivaka. It's enough for you to live on. And he gave Jivaka a small amount of provisions for the journey. Jivaka left for Rajagaha, but the provisions were exhausted by the time he got to Saketa. Jivaka thought, these roads go through the wilderness where there's little water and little food. It's not easy to travel there without provisions. Let me search for provisions. So this is the first early part of Jivaka's life. We then learn from the Seti Bariya Vatu how Jivaka found his first patient, how he was paid for his services and was able to make his journey home. At that time in Saketa, there was a wealthy merchant whose wife had had a headache for seven years. Many of the most famous physicians in the world had come to see her, but none was able to cure her, and they were very expensive. When Jivaka arrived at Saketa, he asked people, Is there anyone who's sick who I might treat? And the response he got was, There's a wealthy merchant whose wife has had a headache for seven years. Go, doctor, and treat her. Jivaka went to that merchant's house and told the doorman, Go and say this to the merchant's wife. Madam, a doctor has arrived. He wishes to see you. Saying, yes, doctor, he did as asked. She replied, what sort of doctor is it? A young one. 
Forget it. I don't need a young doctor. Many of the most famous physicians in the world have been here, but none was able to cure me, and they were very expensive too. The doorman then returned to Jivaka and told him what the merchant's wife had said. Jivaka replied, Go and tell her that she doesn't have to pay anything in advance. When she is cured, she can pay whatever she likes. Saying, Yes, doctor, he told the merchant's wife. She said, Well then, let him in. Saying, Yes, madam, he went to Jivaka and told him. Jivaka then approached the merchant's wife. After examining her, he said to her, Madam, I need a handful of ghee. She then got a handful of ghee. Jivaka cooked that ghee with a number of medicines. He then had her lie down on her back on a bed, and he gave her the medicine through the nose. The medicine emerged in her mouth. She then spat it out into a container and told a slave, Listen, save this ghee in a cotton wad. Jivaka thought, It's astonishing how wretched this housewife is in that she saves this ghee which should be discarded in a cotton wad. Many of my valuable medicines went into it, but she might not give me anything for my services. Seeing his body language, the merchant's wife asked him what he was concerned about. He told her, and she said, We householders know the benefit of such frugality. This ghee is good for the slaves and workers, for ointment for the feet, or for using in lamps. Don't be concerned, doctor, your fee will be abundant. Jivaka cured the headache of the merchant's wife with a single treatment through the nose. When she was well, she gave him 4,000 coins. When her son and daughter-in-law found out that she was well, they too gave him 4,000 coins each, as did her husband. The merchant also gave him a male and female slave and a carriage with horses. Jivaka took those 16,000 coins as well as the male and female slaves and the carriage with horses and he left for Rajagaha. When he eventually arrived, he went to Prince Abeya and said, For my first job, sir, I earned 16,000 coins a male and female slave, and a carriage with horses. Please accept it for bringing me up. But Prince Abeya replied, There's no need, Jivaka, you should keep it all, but please build a house in our compound. Saying yes, he did just that. So this is a wonderful story about Jivaka's first patient. The first thing that struck me was the use of ghee. When you visit Vedamahatyas, which are like the traditional doctors in Sri Lanka, they still mix medicine, the traditional herbs, with ghee. The second thing is the frugality of household life that comes through in this. Not wanting to waste even a single amount of ghee because it's expensive, because it can be used for the helpers in the house, for other people. So the fact of saving rather than discarding, it's something that was existing at that time and maybe it's something also that we can learn from. And also the repayment that Jivaka wanted to give to Prince Abeya. He never took for granted that the prince took him in as a child, as a baby. And so what you see is this gratitude that everything that he earned from his first job, he wanted to offer it to the prince, despite the prince being royalty and having much, which you would assume being royalty, they would have been rich, wealthy. Jivaka wanted to demonstrate gratitude. And so this is also something that was in him from the outset. When you think about when you get your first job, do you give your first whole paycheck to your parents? And I think the answer is commonly no. So this is something that he had as a quality that is very wonderful to hear, to know, and to take as something of an example as well. One other thing before we move on to the next story regarding Jivaka 
is if you remember he said to the doorman to say to the merchant's wife, when she is cured, she can pay whatever she likes. So it was fully up to the merchant's wife and then later on the merchant's son and daughter-in-law and also her husband to offer something to him. And so what he got was something in abundance. He was paid very, very well. That's also something to learn from this. It reminds a little of Gatikara, who put out his clay pots that he had made and said to people, pay what you like. So this next story is from Bimbisara Rajavatu, also from the Vinaya. And it talks about how Jivaka cured King Bimbisara of hemorrhoids and was then appointed a physician to the king, to his harem, and to the Sangha of monks headed by the Buddha. At that time, King Senia Bimbisara of Magadha had hemorrhoids. His wrapped garments were soiled with blood, and the queens made fun of him. Sir, you're menstruating. Your fertile period has arrived. Soon you'll give birth. The king felt humiliated. Soon afterwards, he told Prince Abir what had happened, adding, Abir, please find a doctor to treat me. Sir, our young doctor Jivako is excellent. He'll treat you. So King Bimisara said, Well then, Abaya, send for Jivaka. So Prince Abaya then sent for Jivaka, saying, Yes, sir. Jivaka took some medicine on his nail and went to King Bimbisara. He said, Sir, let me see your affliction. Jivaka then cured King Bimbisara's hemorrhoids with one application of ointment. When the king was well, he had 500 women adorned with every kind of ornament. He then had the ornaments removed and made into a pile. And he said to Jivaka, Jivaka, these ornaments from 500 women are all yours. And Jivaka replied, There's no need. Please remember my act of service. Well then, Jivaka, please attend on me, the harem, and the Sangha of monks headed by the Buddha. Yes, sir, Jivaka replied. So we get another angle from this teaching. He refused anything from the king in terms of material items on this particular occasion. And as a result of that, the king then gave him almost like the royal patronage, saying he would become the king's physician to him, to his harem, and to the Sangha of monks headed by the Buddha. And so if you really think about it, if you think about the fact that he is now the physician to the Buddha and to the Sangha, that is something far superior to any material payment. We are then given an account of the merchant or the wealthy merchant of Rajagaha from Rajagaha Sethivatu, also in the Vinaya. At that time, a wealthy merchant of Rajagaha had had a headache for seven years. Many of the most famous physicians in the world had come up to see him, but none was able to cure him. They were very expensive, yet they gave up on him. Some of them said, this merchant will die in five days. Others said, the merchant will die in seven days. The Householder Association of Rajagaha considered, this merchant has done much for the king and for this association, and now the doctors have given up on him. But there's Jivaka, the king's excellent young doctor. Let's ask the king for Jivaka to treat the merchant. They then went to the king and told him about the merchant, adding, it would be good, sir, if you would tell Dr. Jivaka to treat the merchant. And that's what the king did, saying, yes, sir. Jivaka went to that merchant examined him and said, If I were to cure you, what fee would you pay me? I would give you all my wealth, doctor. I would become your slave, replied the merchant. And Jivaka said, Are you able to lie on one side for seven months? And the merchant said, I am. Then Jivaka said, Are you able to lie on the other side for seven months? And the merchant replied, I am. 
Then Devika said, Are you able to lie on your back for seven months? And he, the merchant said, I am. Devika then had the merchant lie down on a bed. He bound him to the bed, removed some skin from his head, opened a suture in the skull, and removed two insects. He showed them to the crowd, saying, Sirs, look at these two insects, one small and one large. The doctors who said he would live for five days had seen the large insect. In five days it would have destroyed the merchant's brain. Because of that he would have died. Those doctors were right. And those doctors who said he would live for seven days had seen the small insect. In seven days it would have destroyed the merchant's brain. Because of that he would have died. Those doctors were right too. He then closed the suture in the skull, sewed the skin back together and applied an ointment. After seven days, the merchant said to Jivaka, Doctor, I am unable to lie on one side for seven months. Then Jivaka said, But didn't you say you were? And the merchant said, I did, but I'll die. I'm unable to do it. And then Jivaka said, Well then, lie on the other side for seven months. And then after seven days, the merchant said to Jivaka, Doctor, I'm unable to lie on the other side for seven months. And then Jivaka said, But didn't you say you were? And then the merchant said, I did, but I'll die. I'm unable to do it. Then Jivaka said, well then, lie on your back for seven months. After seven days, the merchant said to Jivaka, doctor, I'm unable to lie on my back for seven months. And Jivaka said, but didn't you say you were? And then the merchant said, I did, but I'll die. I'm unable to do it. Then Jivaka said, if I hadn't said this to you, you wouldn't have been able to lie down for so long. I already knew that you would be well in three times seven days. Get up, you're cured. But do you remember my fee? And the merchant said, All my wealth is yours, doctor, and I'm your slave. Then Jivaka replied, There's no need for that. Just give 100,000 coins to the king and another 100,000 to me. And being well, he just did that. Now, this time in this particular account, we learn that Jivaka does what you would probably call some form of brain surgery. So... It's quite remarkable to read this, that at the time of the Buddha there were these kinds of techniques and it was successful. And again also with the fee, although the merchant had said he would give all his wealth and become a slave to Jivaka, Jivaka was more rational, he was more practical. And you can see the gratitude to King Bimisara in this case, that he asked for half his fee to be given to the king and then he kept the other half for himself. So as we read these accounts of Jivaka, you start to really understand or get to know the good qualities that he had, that he was measured and balanced. When it comes to householder life and dealing with householders, dealing with the community, he had this way about him. There was kindness, but also firmness. There was also confidence in his abilities. And there was also a way of enabling his patients to be able to heal as well. So he had these particular ways about him. And I think when you contemplate, reflect on this, there's something that we can also learn from it in how we have dealings in the world, how we do business in the world, how we interact with our colleagues and co-workers, and maybe also in the community as well. Something for us to reflect on. Next, we have an account of the wealthy merchant's son from Seti Puttavatu, also in the Vinaya. It says... On one occasion, the son of a wealthy merchant in Benares twisted his gut while turning somersaults. Because of that, he was not able to digest rice porridge or food, and he couldn't urinate or defecate. 
he became thin, haggard and pale, with veins protruding all over his body. The merchant considered this and thought, why don't I go to Rajagaha and ask the king for Dr. Jivaka to treat my son? He then travelled to Rajagaha, went to King Bimbisara and told him about his son, adding, It would be good, sir, if you would tell Dr. Jivaka to treat my son. And that's what the king did. Jivaka consented and then travelled to Benares where he went to that merchant. He examined the merchant's son, dismissed the people there, put up a curtain all around and tied him to a pillar. He then had the merchant's son's wife stand in front of him. He then cut open the merchant's son's belly and pulled out his twisted gut. He showed it to the merchant's son's wife, saying, See, this is your husband's affliction. It's because of this that he's in such a bad state. He then untwisted the gut, put it back, sewed his belly back together and applied ointment. Soon the merchant's son was healthy again. His father gave 16,000 coins to Jivaka, and Jivaka returned to Rajagaha. So this is pretty phenomenal. He did another surgery to untwist the merchant's son's gut. And the way it's written is, is very, very straightforward. It's as if this is nothing that out of the ordinary. But when you really think about it, this is the time of the Buddha over 2,500 years ago. And he's performing surgery, opening up someone's belly, untwisting the gut and then sewing back together and then applying ointment. And after that, the patient is healed. So it's quite phenomenal to actually read this. It's probably not so straightforward, but the fact that he's healing in this way, performing surgery and so on, you can see why the confidence in people grows. Jivaka does take great care with his patients. What you really see is the proof in the results. You see the proof of Jivaka's skill in his profession through his patients. You can also see the disparity in the fees, and it doesn't really make much difference to Jivaka. So in the last account, he received 200,000 coins for doing brain surgery. And in this account, he also opened up someone's belly. He performed surgery again, which is no simple task. And in this case, he received 16,000 coins. So you would expect that based on modern medicine, you would need to pay the same amount or something close to it. But you can see that on one occasion it was 200,000 coins and on another occasion it's 16,000 coins. This merchant would also have been wealthy, but he only gave 16,000 coins and that was good enough for Jivaka. So Jivaka is not driven by money. So there's something in this as well for us to reflect upon. It's a good quality. And then we have the very adventurous account of Jivaka going to treat King Pajota at the request of King Bimbisara from the Pajota Rajavatu, also in the Vinaya. At that time, King Pajota had jaundice. Many of the most famous physicians in the world had come to see him, but none was able to cure him, and they were very expensive. King Pajota then sent a message to King Bimbisara, I have such and such a disease. It would be good, sir, if you could tell Dr. Jivaka to treat me. King Bimbisara told Jivaka, Go to Eugeni, Jivaka, and treat King Pajota. Jivaka consented and travelled to Eugeni. He then went to King Pajota, examined him and said, Please give me some ghee, sir. I'll make a medicine from it for you to drink. Forget it, Jivaka. Make whatever will cure me that doesn't contain ghee. I hate ghee. It's disgusting, replied the king. And then Jivaka thought, I won't be able to cure this sickness without ghee. Why don't I prepare medicine from ghee, but with a bitter colour, smell and taste? Jivaka then cooked ghee with a number of medicines, 
but he made sure it had colour, smell and taste of a bitter substance. But it occurred to him, when the king is digesting the ghee after drinking it, it will make him vomit. And because he's harsh, he might have me executed. Let me take leave in advance. He then went to the king and said, Sir, we doctors need to pull up roots and collect medicines at short notice. It would be good if you would give instructions to the stables and at the gates. Jivaka may ride on whatever animal he wishes, depart by whatever gate he desires, and he may come and go as he pleases. And so the king did as Jivaka had asked. At that time, King Pajota had a she-elephant called Badavatika, which could traverse 650 kilometers in a day. After bringing the ghee to the king and having him drink it, Jivaka went to the elephant stables and fled the city on Badavatika. Soon afterwards, while King Pajota was digesting that ghee, he vomited. He said to his men, That scoundrel Jivaka made me drink ghee. Find out where he is. And then they came back and said, Sir, he's fled the city on Badavatika. At that time, King Pajota had a slave called Kaka, whose mother was a spirit and who could traverse 780 kilometers in a day. The king told Kaka, Go, Kaka, and make Jivaka turn back. Tell him that the king is asking him to return. But Kaka, these doctors are full of tricks. Don't receive anything from him. Kaka caught up with Jivaka at Kosambi while he was still on his way and having breakfast. Kaka said, Doctor, the king is asking you to return. Wait, Kaka, until I've finished eating. Why don't you have something too? said Jivaka. There's no need. The king told me that doctors are full of tricks and that I shouldn't receive anything from you, replied Kaka. Jivaka then removed the medicinal part of an emblic marabalan fruit with his nail before eating it and drinking water. And he said to Kaka, Here, Kaka, have some of this and water. Kaka thought, The doctor is eating and drinking it. It can't be anything bad. So he ate half a fruit and drank the water. When he had eaten it, he vomited right there. He asked Jivaka, Will I survive? And then Jivaka replied, Don't be afraid, Kaka. Both you and the king will be well. But the king is harsh and might have me executed. Because of that, I won't return. After handing back the she-elephant, Badavatika, to Kaka, he continued on to Rajagaha. When he eventually arrived, he went to King Bimbisara and told him what had happened. The king said, It's good, Jivaka, that you didn't return. That king is harsh and might even have had you executed. Then King Pajota was cured. He sent a message to King Bimbisara telling, Come, Jivaka, I wish to give you a gift. And Jivaka replied, There's no need, sir. Please just remember my act of service. We can see from this account there's many different things that are quite interesting. I think the first one was about the ghee. Even in modern times now, traditional medicine that is given in Sri Lanka, it still uses very much the same techniques and it does heal in a very similar way. And some of it, of course, is bitter, but other parts are actually quite tasty. Some of it's very sweet when they include honey. And when you look at the Vinaya rules, when it talks about medicine, ghee is included in the medicinal list that isn't allowable. The other part of it was the quickness, how switched on Jivaka was towards King Pajota. He knew that he could be punished or executed for giving such a medicine. And so he preempted what was about to happen by, I guess, trickery. It's not that it was for Jivaka's benefit, it was for King Pajolta's benefit to actually receive such medicine and to be healed. The other part of it was he wasn't motivated by wealth. He didn't actually take anything from King Pajolta as a fee. 
What you read from this is that curing the patient and fulfilling the request from King Bimbisara was really what Jivaka was led by. And the way that he dealt with Kaka, he didn't harm him. All he did was make him a little sick. So Kaka wouldn't have been able to take him back to Eugenie. But he also assured Kaka that he would be healed. He would be fine, just like King Pajorta. And he, he didn't steal the elephant. He gave it back to Kaka to take back to the king. So there are certain things that happened were slightly unusual, a bit of an adventurous story, but at the same time, you also see these qualities come through. You also see the quickness to how Divaka handled the situation and quite skillfully. And due to his ability to heal, Jivaka often received gifts from his affluent and royal patients. After he cured King Pajota, King Pajota obtained two valuable cloths. They were extremely exquisite and fine, one in a million. The king sent them to Jivaka, and Jivaka thought, no one is worthy of these except the Buddha, the perfected and fully awakened one, or King Bimbisara. And then we're given an account in the Vinaya that tells us about Jivaka offering the cloths to the Buddha. So Jivaka then took these two valuable cloths and went to the Buddha. He bowed, sat down and said, Venerable Sir, I wish to ask for a favour. And then the Buddha replied, Buddhas don't grant favours, Jivaka. And then Jivaka says, It's allowable and blameless. And then Buddha says, Well then, say what it is. The Buddha and the Sangha of monks are rag robe wearers, says Jivaka. But I've received these two valuable cloths from King Pajota that are extremely exquisite and fine. They are one in a million. Please accept them and please allow the Sangha of monks to use robe cloth given by householders. The Buddha received two valuable cloths. He then instructed, inspired and gladdened Jivaka with a teaching. After which Jivaka got up from his seat, bowed down, circumambulated the Buddha with his right side toward him and left. Soon afterwards, the Buddha gave a teaching and addressed the monks. Monks, I allow you to use robe cloth given by householders. Anyone who wishes may wear rag robes, and anyone who wishes may accept robe cloth from householders. But I praise contentment with one or the other. The people of Rajagaha heard that the Buddha had allowed the monks to use robe cloth given by householders. They were excited and joyful, thinking, Now we'll give gifts and make merit. In such a single day, many thousands of robes were given at Rajagaha. The same thing happened in the country. At that time, a fleecy robe was offered to the Sangha. They told the Buddha. And then the Buddha says, I allow fleecy robes. And a silken fleecy robe was offered. I allow silken fleecy robes. And a woolen fleecy robe was offered. I allow woolen fleecy robes. When you read this account, you come to realize that Jivaka was the first to offer robe cloth to the Buddha and the Sangha. And as a result of asking this favor from the Buddha, the Buddha made it allowable. And so we owe gratitude to Jivaka for this particular thing. Because when you think about offering of the Katina robe, as well as offering of robe cloth at any other time, it is owed to Jivaka because he made this request of the Buddha. So that is deeply heartening and very joyful to know that he was the first one. Due to Jivaka receiving all different kinds of valuable cloths which he wanted to offer to the Buddha and the Sangha, he asked another favour of the Buddha which influenced the change in rules in relation to including different kinds of robe cloth that could be used by the Sangha. So in the Vinaya it says, 
On one occasion, the king of Kasi sent a valuable woolen Kasi cloth to Jivaka. Jivaka took the cloth and went to the Buddha. He bowed, sat down, and told him what had happened, adding, Sir, please accept this woolen cloth for my long-lasting benefit and happiness. The Buddha received the woolen cloth. He then instructed, inspired, and gladdened Jivaka with the teaching, after which Jivaka got up from his seat, bowed down, circumambulated the Buddha with his right side toward him, and left. Soon afterwards, the Buddha gave a teaching and addressed the monks. I allow wool. At that time, various kinds of robe cloth were offered to the Sangha. The monks thought, what kinds of robe cloth has the Buddha allowed and what not? They told the Buddha. And the Buddha confirmed, I allow six kinds of robe cloth. Linen, cotton, silk, wool, sun hemp and hemp. Soon afterwards, the monks thought, the Buddha has only allowed one kind of robe, not two. And being afraid of wrongdoing, they did not accept rags after receiving robe cloth from householders. The Buddha then clarified, I allow you to accept rags after receiving robe cloth from a householder, but I praise contentment with both. So again, you can see Jivaka influencing this just through his own ability to receive wonderful or valuable cloths from his patrons and from his patients. And this also shows that Jivaka wanted to make merit. He wanted to receive the blessings from the Buddha. So again, you can see that we owe some gratitude to Jivaka because when you think about the Dhanakata and you think about what we can offer to monks and nuns, and we can see that Jivaka understood about the long-lasting benefit and happiness of being able to offer such robe cloths to the Sangha, to the Buddha and the Sangha. And when we reflect on the happiness we get, from offering things to the Sangha, whether it is alms food or robes or other requisites, other medicines or a roof over their head or transport, any of those things, it actually brings a lot of long-lasting happiness. One of the other things to think about is the lack of stinginess. If you brought all these accounts together that we've read out so far, Jivaka doesn't have this quality of stinginess. It's not something that is apparent. He freely gives what he receives. He passes on. He doesn't just store it or hoard it for himself. Clearly, he's someone that has the parami of receiving. He constantly receives valuable cloths and carriages and money and all kinds of different things. And when you see it, you see that it flows out of him as well. He willingly gives it up. He knew, as you can see, that offering it to the Buddha and the Sangha is of greater benefit than even offering to a king. There's something in that for us to reflect on as well, the lack of stinginess and also the willingness to give. Clearly, out of what he earned, he would give 100% out, or at times he would give half. So you see, what he holds on to is not that much. So you would consider Jivaka as wealthy, but you would also see him as far wealthier in the lack of stinginess, in the generosity that he demonstrated, and being generous in the right places as well. One of the more detailed accounts of Jivaka treating the Buddha is in the Samatinsa Virechana Kata in the Vinaya. This is where the Buddha wished to take a purgative to dispel impurities from his body. We are told, on one occasion, the Buddha's body was full of impurities. He said to Venerable Ananda, Ananda, my body is full of impurities. I would like to take a purgative. Ananda went to Jivaka and told him what the Buddha had said. And Jivaka replied, Well then, Venerable Ananda, all the Buddha's body for a few days. 
After doing as instructed, Ananda returned to Jivaka to let him know, adding, please continue the treatment. Jivaka thought, it would not be appropriate for me to give the Buddha a powerful purgative. He then prepared three handfuls of lotus flowers with a variety of medicines, went to the Buddha and gave him one handful, saying, Venerable sir, please smell the first handful. This will purge you ten times. He then brought him the second and third handful, repeating the instruction, adding, In this way, you'll have thirty purgings. After giving the Buddha thirty purgings, he bowed down, circumambulated him with his right side toward him, and left. When he was outside the gateway, Jivaka thought, I've given thirty purgings to the Buddha, for his body full of impurities, but he'll only be purged twenty-nine times. After being purged, however, he'll take a bath, which will count as one purging. In this way, the Buddha will have had exactly thirty purgings. The Buddha read Jivaka's mind. He told Ananda about it, adding, well then, Ananda, prepare hot water, and Ananda did as requested. Jivaka then went back to the Buddha, bowed, sat down, and asked, Sir, are you purged? And the Buddha replied, I am, Jivaka. Jivaka told him what he had thought outside the gateway, adding, Please bathe. The Buddha had a hot bath. When he had bathed, the Buddha was purged once, adding up to a total of 30 purgings. Jivaka said to the Buddha, Sir, until your body is back to normal, Please don't take any mung bean broth. And that's the end of the account. You find that some of these things are still practiced in India, still practiced in Sri Lanka. It's very interesting to read these accounts, particularly the variety of medicines. Of course, we don't know what they are. And the precision of it. Jivaka knew that it would take 30 purgings for the Buddha. And he also knew that he needed something mild, not something too strong. So a very skilled physician and someone that the Buddha trusted it's not easy, as you know, in this day and age to trust the medicine that we are given, whether it is traditional medicine or modern medicine. But in this way, you see that doctor-patient relationship. And he had a lot of respect for the Buddha as his spiritual guide and teacher as well. So this is even more so. What's interesting about this particular account is the Buddha doesn't give Jivaka a teaching after this one. But in other accounts, you often see when they have an interaction, when Jivaka comes to ask the favor about the robe cloth or other ones, what you notice is the Buddha gives time to Jivaka, gives him a teaching. And so there's a very lovely relationship between them. The other rule that Jivaka influenced was in regard to the five diseases. This account was given in Panchabhadavatu of the great chapter or Mahakandaka in the Vinaya. At that time in Magadha, there were five common diseases, leprosy, boils, eczema, consumption, epilepsy. When people were sick with any of these, they went to Jivaka, Kumarabhacha, and said, Doctor, please treat us. He replied, I'm very busy. I look after King Bimbisara of Magadha and his harem, and I also look after the Sangha of monks headed by the Buddha. I'm not able to treat you. We'll give you everything we own and we'll be your slave too. Please treat us, doctor. And Jivaka repeated what he had already said. And these people thought, These Sakyan monastics have pleasant habits and a happy life. They eat nice food and sleep in beds sheltered from the wind. Why don't we go forth with the Sakyan monastics? If we do, the monks will nurse us and Jivaka Kumarabhacha will treat us. They then went to the monks and asked for the going forth. The monks gave them the going forth and the full ordination. And the monks nursed them and Jivaka treated them. At one time, the monks were nursing many sick monks. As a result, they kept on asking, Please give a meal for the sick and for those nursing the sick. Please give medicines for the sick. And because Jivaka was treating many sick monks, he was unable to fulfill his duty to the king. 
Then a certain man who was afflicted with one of the five diseases went to Jivaka and said, Doctor, please treat me. He replied, I'm very busy. I look after King Senya Bimbisara of Magadha and his harem. I also look after the Sangha of monks headed by the Buddha. I'm not able to treat you. And then the man said, I will give you everything I own and I'll be your slave too. Please treat me, doctor. And Jivaka repeated what he had already said. And that man thought, these Sakyan monastics have pleasant habits and a happy life. They eat nice food and sleep in beds sheltered from the wind. Why don't I go forth with the Sakyan monastics? If I do, the monks will nurse me, and Jivaka Kumarabacha will treat me, and when I'm healthy, I'll disrobe. He then went to the monks and asked for the going forth. The monks gave him the going forth and the full ordination, after which they nursed him, and Jivaka treated him. When he was healthy again, he disrobed. Jivaka saw that man after he had disrobed, and asked him, didn't you go forth with the monks? And the man replied, Yes, doctor. And then Jivaka asked, And why did you do it? When that man had told him what had happened, Jivaka complained and criticized the monks. How could the venerables allow one with five diseases to go forth? He went to the Buddha, bowed, sat down and said, Venerable sir, it would be good if the venerables didn't allow these with the five diseases to go forth. The Buddha instructed, inspired and gladdened him with the teaching. Jivaka then got up from his seat, bowed down, circumambulated the Buddha with his right side toward him and left. Soon afterwards, the Buddha gave a teaching and addressed the monks. You should not give the going forth to anyone afflicted with the five diseases. If you do, you commit an offence of wrong conduct. And so we see here the ease with which Jivaka felt able to go and consult with the Buddha. And of course, the Buddha would have contemplated this himself and then made a rule. And you can see it's for the well-being of the Sangha, not for the detriment of the Sangha that Jivaka would have brought this up. As a result of this, you can see the confidence that Buddha has in Jivaka. It's a very respectful relationship that the Buddha has respect for Jivaka as a lay disciple of the Buddha and also as his physician. But you also see the respect that Jivaka has and the confidence that Jivaka has in being able to approach the Buddha and to have this wholesome influence on the Sangha for the longevity of the Sangha, not for its detriment, not for its downfall, not for its decline. Another rule that Jivaka influenced was in regard to walking paths. And this account was given in Kudakavatu Kandaka, or the chapter with short topics in the Vinaya. This particular story is important, not just for monastics, but also lay people, as bodies are full of impurities due to the different kinds of meals we consume. If anything, it promotes the health benefits of walking meditation, as well as saunas. At this time in Vesali, people had arranged a succession of fine meals. After eating the fine food, the monks were often sick, their bodies being full of impurities. Just then, Jivaka Kumarabacha was in Vesali, on some business, and he saw those monks. He went to the Buddha, bowed, sat down and said, At present, sir, there are monks who are often sick, their bodies being full of impurities. It would be good if you would allow walking meditation paths and saunas. In this way, the monks will rarely get sick. The Buddha then instructed, inspired and gladdened him with the teaching, after which Jivaka got up from his seat, bowed, circumambulated the Buddha with his right side toward him and left. Soon afterwards, the Buddha gave a teaching and addressed the monks. I allow walking meditation paths and saunas. Monks did walking meditation on uneven paths. As a result, their feet hurt. I allow you to even them out. They built walking meditation paths on a low base. They were flooded. I allow you to raise the base. The mound collapsed. I allow you to construct three kinds of raised foundations. 
raised foundations of brick, stone and wood. It was difficult to get up on the walking meditation path. I allowed three kinds of stairs. Stairs built of brick, stone and wood. People fell down while climbing the stairs. I allow rails. Monks fell off while doing walking meditation. I allow railings. Doing walking meditation outside, monks were wearied by the cold and the heat and they told the Buddha, I allow indoor walking meditation paths. Grass and dust fell into the indoor walking meditation paths. I allow you to firm up the structure and then to plaster it inside and outside, including treating with white colour, black colour and red ochre, making a garland pattern, a creeper pattern, a shark teeth pattern and fivefold pattern, putting up a bamboo road rack and a clothesline. So it's actually quite interesting to read some of these rules in the Vinaya. Lay people don't often read the Vinaya. It's mainly down to the monastics, the monks and nuns, to know and understand what the rules are. But it's interesting for lay people also to read these because it looks at the way the rules are formulated. As things happen, these rules are, are given by the Buddha for the welfare and benefit of the Sangha. You also see that Jivaka has a lot of compassion for the monks and is always thinking from a physician's point of view. And so when he was in Vasali on the business, and when he saw that the monks were often sick due to the fine foods that they were eating, then he found a solution, which is the walking part of it and also the saunas. And so you see the origin of where these rules come from. Just on the subject of health, walking meditation is very good in this respect. And you see this even in other suttas on the benefits of walking meditation. After Jivaka became a Sotapanna, so he realized stream entry, he was anxious to visit the Buddha twice a day. And he was also very fortunate because as you saw, every time he consulted the Buddha, the Buddha kindly, more often than not, gave a teaching to Jivaka. So because he was anxious to visit the Buddha twice a day and found Veluvana, the pleasure garden King Bimbisara had bestowed on the Buddha and the Sangha too far away, Jivaka built a monastery with all its adjuncts in his own mango grove in Rajagaha. It became known as Jivaka Ambavana and Jivaka offered it to the Buddha and the Sangha. The Buddha stayed there on several occasions and on one such occasion King Ajatasattu visited the Buddha and the Samanyapala Sutta, so this is in the longer discourses, number two, that teaching was given there. There were other teachings that were also given while the Buddha stayed at Jivaka Ambavana. One was Atta Nuditi Pahana Sutta. So this was on giving up the view of self. Jivaka Ambavana Patisalana Sutta. This was on retreat or solitude. Jivaka Ambavana Samadhi Sutta on developing concentration. And also Jivaka Sutta, which were the questions on lay followers. And also there was an account of the nun Subha while she was visiting Jivaka Ambavana. Today, it's still possible to visit the remains of Jivaka Ambavana or the Jivaka Rama Monastery in Rajgir, India. It's on the outskirts of Rajgir below Vulture's Peak, which was one of the Buddha's places for retreat. So you can see that on this slide on the map. The initial monastery was said to be formed of two long parallel and oblong halls, large dormitories where the monks could eat and sleep, and it was in conformity with the original regulations of the Sangha, without any private cells. Other halls were then constructed. They were mostly long, oblong buildings as well. We also learn from the Satigumba Jataka that it was Jivaka who tended to the Buddha when he was injured during Devadatta's second attempt to kill him. Devadatta climbed up the Gijaguta hill, so Vulture Peak, and hurled a big piece of rock at the Buddha. Devadatta on that occasion failed to kill the Buddha. However, a splinter from the rock did injure the Buddha's foot. The Buddha had to be carried to Jivakambhavana. 
Then the Chulahansa Jathika reveals a little more about how Jivaka tended to the Buddha. And it says, For when archers were suborned to slay the Tathagata, and the person that was sent by Devadatta on this errand returned and said, Holy sir, I cannot deprive the Blessed One of life. He is possessed of great supernatural powers. Devadatta replied, Well, sir, you need not slay the Seti Gautama. I myself will deprive him of life. And as the Tathagata was walking in the shadow cast westward by the vulture peak, Devadatta climbed to the top of the mountain and hurled a mighty stone, as if shot from a catapult, thinking, With this stone will I slay the ascetic Gautama. But two mountain peaks meeting together intercepted the stone, and a splinter from it flew up and struck the Blessed One on the foot and drew blood, and severe pain set in. Jivaka, cutting open the Tathagata's foot with a knife, let out the bad blood and removed the proud flesh, and anointing the wound with a mendicament, healed it. The Blessed One moved about just as he did before, surrounded by his attendants with all the great charm of a Buddha. So this brightens the mind. We know that during a time of great upheaval, when Devadatta was really going quite hard at trying to harm the Buddha, someone like Jivaka offered his services and took care of the Buddha. For us, this is something that is quite joyful in the mind. And Jivaka would have received the merits of being on hand to do that. There is also Jivaka Panhavatu, which is Dhammapada verse number 90, and the story of the question asked by Jivaka. The Dhammapada commentary also references the sequence of events that led to Buddha's injury at the hands of Devadatta and Jivaka treating the Buddha, and the commentary gives us a little bit more by way of what happens after Jivaka has bandaged the Buddha's foot. So while residing at the Mango Grove Monastery of Jivaka, so this is Jivaka Ambavanna, the Buddha uttered this verse with reference to the question raised by Jivaka to the Buddha. Devadatta on one occasion tried to kill the Buddha by pushing a big rock from the peak of Kijakuta Mountain, Vulture Peak. The rock struck a ledge on the side of the mountain and a splinter struck the big toe of the Buddha. The Buddha was taken to the Mango Grove Monastery of Jivaka. There Jivaka, the renowned physician, attended on the Buddha. He put some medicine on the toe of the Buddha and bandaged it. Jivaka then left to see another patient in town, but promised to return and remove the bandage in the evening. When Jivaka returned that night, the city gates were already closed, and he could not come to see the Buddha that night. He was very upset because if the bandage was not removed in time, the whole body would become very hot and the Buddha would be very ill. Just about this time, the Buddha asked Anandatera to remove the bandage from his big toe and found that the wound was completely healed. Jivaka came to the monastery early the next morning and asked the Buddha whether he felt great pain and distress the previous night. The Buddha replied, Jivaka, ever since I attained Buddhahood, there's been no pain and distress for me. The Buddha then spoke in verse as follows, Gatadino Visokasa, one who has completed the journey is free from sorrow. Vipamuttasa Sabadi, set free or released in every respect. Sabagantha Pahinasa, who has destroyed all ties. Parilaho Nadvijati, there is no burning that exists. And at the end of the discourse, many attained the fruit of stream entry. This verse from the Buddha resonates deeply when we reflect on the magnitude of samsara and the magnitude of pain, suffering and sorrow. Jivaka's question to the Buddha is primarily about the pain and distress due to the wound that he treated. 
But the Buddha's answer is directed to the freedom from the whole mass of suffering that comes from the complete release or liberation, that is Nibbana. There is no longer any birth, aging, sickness or death. Therefore, no pain, sadness, sorrow, lamentation, despair, separation from what is pleasing, union with what is displeasing and not getting what one wants. It is remarkable and inspiring to hear the Buddha encouraging Jivaka in this way, encouraging and reminding us of the true goal of spiritual practice. It's not to temporarily alleviate the lesser pain and distress that comes from daily life, but to be free of the whole mass of suffering. And so it's a powerful teaching when we can lean on this kind of words from the Buddha when we get bogged down with everyday pain and distress at work, at home, in our community, and problems arising with mundane worldly conditions. So this verse from the Buddha is really talking about the Arahant, who has no more rounds of rebirth, is completely released in every respect, has destroyed all the fetters, all the ties, all the taints. And so there's no more burning, no more fever that exists. We now come to one of the occasions where Jivaka is visiting the Buddha and asks some Dhamma questions. This one is called Jivaka Sutta and it's from Anguttanikaya chapter 8, discourse number 26. And these questions are all about clarifying what it means to be a lay follower of the Buddha. This same teaching was also given to Mahanama, the Sakyan. It begins with Jivaka asking the Buddha, in what way, Bhante, is one a lay follower? And the Buddha replies, When, Jivaka, one has gone for refuge to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha, in that way one is a lay follower. So the Buddha confirms that taking refuge in the Triple Gem is the way a person is a lay follower. And then Jivaka asks, In what way, Bhante, is a lay follower virtuous? When, Jivaka, a lay follower abstains from the destruction of life, from taking what is not given, from sexual misconduct, from false speech, and from liquor, wine, and intoxicants, the basis for heedlessness. In that way, a lay follower is virtuous. So this is taking on the five precepts. Jivaka then asks, in what way, Bhante, is a lay follower practicing for his own benefit, but not for the benefit of others? And the Buddha replies, when, Jivaka, a lay follower is himself accomplished in conviction, but does not encourage others to accomplish conviction when he himself is accomplished in virtuous behavior, but does not encourage others to accomplish virtuous behavior, when he himself is accomplished in generosity, but does not encourage others to accomplish generosity, when he himself wants to see the bhikkhus, but does not encourage others to see bhikkhus, when he himself wants to hear the true dhamma, but does not encourage others to hear the true dhamma, when he himself retains in mind the teachings he has heard, but does not encourage others to retain the teachings in mind. When he himself examines the meaning of the teachings that have been retained in mind, but does not encourage others to examine their meaning. When he himself has understood the meaning and the Dhamma, and practices in accordance with the Dhamma, but does not encourage others to do so. It is in this way, Jivaka, that a lay follower is practicing for his own benefit, but not for the benefit of others. And then Jivaka asks, in what way Bhante is a lay follower practicing for his own benefit and for the benefit of others? And the Buddha responds, when Jivaka, a lay follower is himself accomplished in conviction and also encourages others to accomplish conviction. And then the Buddha lays out the same qualities. But the distinction is the person not just practices himself these qualities, 
but also encourages others in all these qualities too. When we had our Dhamma session on who benefits from our spiritual practice, we looked at four different kinds of persons. The one practicing neither for the benefit of oneself nor for others. The one practicing for the benefit of others but not for oneself. The one practicing for one's own benefit but not for the others. And the one practicing for the benefit of both. In this Jivaka Sutta, Jivaka is asking about the latter two. The one who is practicing for his own welfare or benefit but not for the benefit of others and the one who is practicing for the benefit of both oneself and others. Jivaka demonstrates through his questions a keen interest in how one is not just a lay follower, but a lay follower who is virtuous. And he is also eager to know the distinction in how one practices not just for one's own benefit. Jivaka's center of gravity is linked with his skill as a physician and healer, and is to think more selflessly than the average lay person. We can learn much from this outlook or perspective as it's conducive to the non-greed, non-hatred and non-delusion path that the Buddha is teaching us. In the middle-length discourses, there is another teaching called the Jivaka Sutta. This is Majjhimanikaya Discourse number 55, where Jivaka hears criticisms of the Buddha's policy regarding eating meat and asks him about it. Jivaka says, Venerable Sir, I have heard this. They slaughter living beings for the recluse Gautama. The recluse Gautama knowingly eats meat prepared for him from animals killed for his sake. Venerable Sir, do those who speak thus say what has been said by the Blessed One and not misrepresent him with that is contrary to the fact? Do they explain in accordance with the Dhamma in such a way that nothing which provides a ground for censure can be legitimately deduced from their assertions? The Buddha responds, Jivaka, those who speak thus do not say what has been said by me but misrepresent me with what is untrue and contrary to the fact. Jivaka, I say that there are three instances in which meat should not be eaten, when it is seen, heard or suspected that the living being has been slaughtered for oneself. I say that meat should not be eaten in these three instances. I say that there are three instances in which meat may be eaten, when it is not seen, not heard and not suspected that the living being has been slaughtered for oneself. When it is not seen, not heard, and not suspected that the living being has been slaughtered for oneself, I say that meat may be eaten in these three instances. And then it goes on to say, Jivaka, any lust, any hate, any delusion, whereby cruelty or discontent or aversion might arise, have been abandoned by the Tathagata, cut off at the root, made like a palm stump, done away with, so that they are no longer subject to future arising. If what you said referred to that, then I allow it to you. If anyone slaughters a living being for the Tathagata or his disciple, he lays up much demerit in five instances. When he says, go and fetch that living being, this is the first instance in which he lays up much demerit. When that living being experiences pain and sadness on being led along with a neck halter, this is the second instance in which he lays up much demerit. When he says, go and slaughter that living being, this is the third instance in which he lays up much demerit. When that living being experiences pain and sadness on being slaughtered, this is the fourth instance in which he lays up much demerit. When he provides the Tathagata or his disciple with food that is not permissible, this is the fifth instance in which he lays up much demerit. Anyone who slaughters a living being for the Tathagata or his disciple, he lays up much demerit in five instances. This particular teaching from the Buddha is self-explanatory. 
No further elaboration is needed. There was a Dhamma question on eating animals that was asked a while ago, and in that context we may include this particular sutta in a separate Dhamma question and answer session. When King Bimbisara died, Jivaka continued to serve King Ajatasattu, who had killed his own father to gain the crown. As a result of his unwholesome actions, the newly crowned King Ajatasattu was experiencing mental disturbances and afflictions. His ministers were advising him to consult a variety of other spiritual teachers, such as Makali Gosala, Ajita Kesakambala, Pakuda Kachayana, Sanjaya Belataputta, and Niganta Nataputta, and this was to seek guidance. But it was Jivaka who encouraged the king to visit the Buddha. He was responsible for bringing King Ajatasattu to the Buddha in order to bring peace to the king's mind. We find details in the Samanyapala Sutta as well as the Sanjiva Jataka and Sankhicha Jataka. In these accounts, Jivaka demonstrates kindness and compassion towards the king. He is a true friend, Kalyanamitta, in bringing him to see the Buddha. We can read an extract from the Samanyapala Sutta, and this is just after the king is being advised by his ministers. All this time, Jivaka Kumarabhacha sat silently not far from King Ajatasattu. The king then said to him, Friend Jivaka, why do you keep silent? Jivaka said, Your Majesty, the Blessed One, the Worthy One, the perfectly enlightened Buddha, together with a large company of 1250 bhikkhus, is now dwelling in our mango grove. A favourable report concerning him is circulating thus. This Blessed One is a Worthy One, perfectly enlightened, endowed with clear knowledge and conduct, accomplished, a knower of the world, unsurpassed trainer of men to be tamed, teacher of gods and men, enlightened and blessed. Your Majesty should visit the Blessed One. Perhaps if you visit him, he might bring peace to your mind. And then the king says, Then get the elephant vehicles prepared, friend Jivaka. Yes, Your Majesty, Jivaka replied. He then had 500 female elephants prepared, as well as the king's personal bull elephant, and announced to the king, your Majesty, your elephant vehicles are ready. Do as you think fit. King Ajatasattu then had 500 of his women mounted on the female elephants, one on each, while he himself mounted his personal bull elephant. With his attendants carrying torches, he went forth from Rajagaha in full royal splendour, setting out in the direction of Jivaka's mango grove. When King Ajatasattu was not far from the mango grove, he was suddenly gripped by fear trepidation and terror. Frightened and agitated and terror-stricken, he said to Jivaka, You aren't deceiving me, are you, friend Jivaka? You aren't betraying me? You aren't about to turn me over to my enemies? How could there be such a large company of bhikkhus, 1,250 bhikkhus, without any sound of sneezing or coughing, or any noise at all? And then Jivaka assures him, do not be afraid, great king, do not be afraid. I am not deceiving you, your majesty, or betraying you, or turning you over to your enemies. Go forward, great king, go straight forward. Those are lamps burning in the pavilion hall. At this point, Jivaka's role has been played out. And there is much we can learn even from this simple account. You see Jivaka allaying the king's fears. And... What you recognize from someone who has done such great wrongdoing is the fear. And that fear is also Dukkha. So the king, although he has all this wealth and power, 
and prestige and such royal splendor he lives in fear and that is because of the akusala the unwholesome acts the unskillful acts that he has conducted and so you hear the paranoia in his mind when he says you aren't deceiving me and you aren't betraying me you aren't turning me over to my enemies that's the type of mind state that the king has this fear arises because of misconduct so when we are not virtuous one lives in fear and that fear is a great amount of dukkha a great amount of pain and suffering so that's something for us to remember if we want to live without fear without this kind of suffering one needs to be virtuous it's a good thing and of course there is much much more to this sutta given it is one of the longer discourses and the focus is more on the buddha's teaching for king ajata sattu and it's regarding the doctrine of the other spiritual teachers at that time and also an extended teaching on higher training in moral discipline concentration and wisdom or knowledge at the end of the teaching king ajata sattu declares himself a lay follower of the buddha and he also admits his transgression in killing his father who was a righteous man and a righteous king the buddha acknowledges that king ajata sattu has seen his transgression as a transgression and made amends for it according to the dhamma so we know that when you admit a transgression in front of the buddha and the sangha it's a very good thing you seek forgiveness by admitting the fault so when king ajata sattu admits this to the buddha it's a very good thing after he leaves however the buddha declares to the sangha that king ajata sattu had ruined himself injured himself if he had not taken the life of his father then as he sat in the seat listening to the buddha there would have arisen in him the dust-free stainless eye of dhamma so that would have been stream entry for king ajata sattu but because he had done such a severe act of violence towards his his own father then he wasn't able to enter the stream we can end our dhamma session with the story of chulapanthaka in the chulapanthaka vattu this is dhammapada verse number 25 jivaka plays a part in the story by inviting the buddha and the sangha to his house for alms giving this is also linked to chulasethi jataka the dhammapada commentary tells us while residing at the veluvana monastery The Buddha uttered this verse with reference to Chulapanthaka, a grandson of a banker of Rajagaha. The banker had two grandsons named Mahapanthaka and Chulapanthaka. Mahapanthaka, being the elder, used to accompany his grandfather to listen to the Dhamma. Later, Mahapanthaka joined the Sangha and eventually realized the fruit of arahantship. Chulapanthaka followed his brother and became a bhikkhu, but because in a previous existence, at the time of Kasapa Buddha, Chulapanthaka had made fun of a bhikkhu who was very dull. He was born a dullard in the present existence. He could not even memorize one verse in four months. Mahapanthaka was very disappointed with his younger brother and even told him he was not worthy of the order. About that time, Jivaka came to the monastery to invite the Buddha and resident bhikkhus to his house for a meal. Mahapanthaka, who was then in charge of assigning the bhikkhus to meal invitations, left out Chulapanthaka from the list. When Chulapanthaka learned about this, he felt very much frustrated and decided that he would return to the life of a householder. Knowing his intention, the Buddha took him along and made him sit in front of the Gandakuti hall. He then gave a clean piece of cloth to Chulapanthaka and told him to sit there facing east and rub the piece of cloth. At the same time, he was to repeat the word Rajoharanang, which means taking on impurity. The Buddha then went to the residence of Jivaka 
accompanied by the bhikkhus. Meanwhile, Chulapandika went on rubbing the piece of cloth, all the time muttering the word Rojo Haranang. Very soon the cloth became soiled. Seeing this change in the condition of the cloth, Chulapandika came to realize the impermanent nature of all conditioned things. From the house of Jivaka, the Buddha through supernormal power learnt about the progress of Chulapandika. He sent forth his radiance so that to Chulapandika the Buddha appeared to be sitting in front of him, saying, It is not the piece of cloth alone that is made dirty by the dust. Within oneself also there exists the dust of lust, the dust of hatred, and the dust of delusion. So, Raga Dosa Moha. Only by removing these could one achieve one's goal and attain the fruit of Arahanship. Chulapandika understood the Buddha and kept on meditating and in a short while attained Arahanship together with analytical insight. Thus Chulapandika ceased to be a dullard. At the house of Jivaka, they were about to pour libation water as a mark of donation. But the Buddha covered the bowl with his hand and asked if there were any bhikkhus left at the monastery. On being answered that there were none, the Buddha replied that there was one and directed them to fetch Chulapandika from the monastery. When the messenger from the house of Jivaka arrived at the monastery, he found not only one bhikkhu, but a thousand identical bhikkhus. They all had been created by Chulapandika, who by now possessed supernormal powers. The messenger was baffled and he turned back and reported the matter to Jivaka. The messenger was sent to the monastery for the second time and was instructed to say that the Buddha summoned the bhikkhu by the name of Chulapandika. But when he delivered the message, a thousand voices responded, I am Chulapandika. Again baffled, he turned back for the second time. Then he was sent to the monastery for the third time. This time he was instructed to get hold of the bhikkhu who first said that he was Chulapandika. As soon as he got hold of that bhikkhu, all the rest disappeared and Chulapandika accompanied the messenger to the house of Jivaka. After the meal, as directed by the Buddha, Chulapandika delivered a Dhamma discourse confidently and bravely, roaring like a young lion. Later, when the subject of Chulapandika cropped up among the bhikkhus, the Buddha said that one who was diligent and steadfast in his striving would certainly attain arahanship. Then the Buddha spoke in verse as follows, Through effort, vigilance, restraint and self-control, the wise makes himself an island, that the floods will not overwhelm. The reference to floods is to the flood of sensual desire, so karma auger, flood of existence, bhava auger, flood of views, ditti auger, and flood of ignorance, avija auger. All four are rooted in greed, hatred, and delusion, and are triggered by the perversion of fair instead of foul, happiness instead of suffering, me and mine instead of not me and mine, and finally permanent instead of impermanent. When the Buddha says the wise makes himself an island, we can infer this means seclusion from sensual pleasures and unwholesome states. And what we apply is effort, vigilance, restraint and self-control. If we really look at these qualities, they are all active, not passive. Combined with the noble aspiration, we can see that if we do what the Buddha has taught, we develop the noble eightfold path, penetrate the truth and realize Nibbana. What makes the story of Chulapanthika really special is how Chulapanthika was born a dullard in the present existence due to his kamma, having made fun of a bhikkhu who was very dull. Yet despite this affliction, when given a specific teaching by the Buddha and encouraged to persevere and see the roots of lust, hatred and delusion, he was able to realize the fruit of arahanship and was no longer a dullard. In our own ways, each of us may feel we are dullards at times where we struggle to memorize or understand the meaning of the Buddha's words. 
or struggle with the inside pathway meditations. The story of Chulapanthaka inspires and encourages us to persevere with our spiritual practice and do what the Buddha has taught. Slowly but surely, we will penetrate the truth and realize complete liberation, Nibbana. We've now come to the end of our Dhamma session. Much merit and gratitude for the contribution to this Dhamma Dana from one of our Kalyanamitta. We can now share the merit with all sentient beings. May all beings be happy and well. May all beings be free from suffering. Blessings of the Triple Gem, wishing you well. Peruan Saranay.